horror might be a really good way for people to learn how to both identify their emotions. So like if you're feeling anxious, you learn how to kind of identify the source of that, but also learning how to regulate those emotions, regulate those negative emotions that people tend to avoid, like for good reason, you know, I don't want to go through my, like, I want to typically minimize the amount of anxiety I experience in my daily life. And so I don't have good experience with that. I don't have good experience feeling anxious and then getting over it. In the early months of the pandemic, horror fans and morbidly curious people were more resilient during the pandemic. So they were scoring higher on psychological resilience than people who were fans, uh, were not fans of horror movies or people who were fans of other movies. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. Have a very special episode for you today. It's October doing uh, the first ever Halloween episode of the Here We Are podcast. Weird that I never thought to do this earlier. I think this is the seventh or eighth opportunity of Here We Are. I could have done this, and I'm I'm so excited. I've already been looking into my guests' research, and uh, man, there's just going to be so much to talk about. It's so in our wheelhouse of the things that we like to talk about on this show. So please welcome to the show. Colton Scrivener is joining me today. Colton? Did I say Colton? Colton. Uh, Colton Scrivener, thank you for, uh, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for making time for me in the busiest month of your year. (laughs) Um, this is, can you tell the listeners what you do? Sure. So I study the psychology of morbid curiosity and scary play. So basically trying to understand why people like to scare themselves for fun and whether or not there are maybe some benefits to doing so. Fantastic. How did you uh, how did you get interested in that in the first place? Uh, I mean, I've, I've been a horror fan for you know most of my life uh, since I was a kid, uh, but I, I never thought I would study it. Um, but I, you know, when I was in graduate school, my first or first year, probably, uh, I did a project on violence. So why people are interested in violence? You know, why did the Romans build a Colosseum? mostly so that they could watch battles, right? They did other things there, but mostly so that they could watch acts of violence. Um, you know, why is MMA and boxing a multi-million or multi-billion dollar sport? I don't remember exactly what happened, but I, you know, I was thinking about the sort of paradox of why we like negative things and uh, started thinking about horror films and why people like to scare themselves for fun. And uh, yeah, I just kind of, I kind of fell into it from there. I got hooked up with a a Danish researcher, Matthias Klaesen, who is doing some horror research, and he and I sort of hit it off and started doing some haunted house research together. That's amazing. Yeah, that's, <laughs> so that's that is quite the paradox to resolve. Of uh, you, you have this, <laughs> you've evolved this fear response system to kind of keep you out of danger and everything, but the, there's there's the cost of stress and everything else that comes along with it. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily feel great in that moment to have, uh, certainly, um, context is everything. Uh, and, and much in the way that, um, 
it, it almost feels masochistic <laughs> in a way to, <laughs> uh, to take in something like a horror movie, but it's a especially popular genre. Yeah. And, you know, I think uh, people have been thinking about this paradox for a long time for, for different reasons. But, but Plato, for example, uh, wrote about it, I think, in The Republic. He was talking about a, a man who was walking along kind of the city walls and outside the city walls, there were some criminals that had been recently executed with the executioner standing over them. And I, th I think in this example, Plato was talking about the difference between reason and emotion, but he talks about the man sort of not wanting to look at the executed criminals, but he, he couldn't help himself, you know, so he runs up to them and he opens his eyes and says something insane, like, there you are, you wretches, you know, take your fill. Uh, <laughs> so basically talking about how, even though the man wanted to not look at this, he couldn't help himself. Yeah. Rubbernecking, basically. Yeah. Basically rubbernecking. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so as I'm thinking about this, I'm looking at this survey that you did and I'm like, maybe, maybe just so I don't bias my answers too much from <laughs> knowing too much about this, maybe I should do this ahead of time. Um, and, and if you don't mind, do you want to do this with me? You're, yeah. uh, is this a scale that you, can you set this up for everybody? Is this a scale that you created? It is. Yeah. So, uh, anyone can take this, uh, I can give you the information in a bit, but basically if you just go to my website, coltonscrivener.com, scroll to the bottom, it'll say, if you would like to find out how morbidly curious you are, click here and you can just click there and it takes maybe, I don't know, minute, two minutes to fill out the survey. Well, it's going to take us longer because I'm going to dig into these a little bit. Let's dig into um, it. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, and, and, and then we'll, we'll be able to go a little more involved into this conversation afterwards. But this will be super fun. So, all right. So it, it is a pretty short survey. There's how many questions? 20 or something like that? 24. Um, 24. And it has all of these fun, interesting, this is something I could, uh, it, maybe you'll want to do, um, listeners, maybe you'll want to do at home. Um, or if you have a holiday gathering or something like that. Um, so if a head transplant was possible, what do you want to watch the procedure? Uh, I must somewhat agree. So it's six. It, I, I do have a bone to pick with, uh, with scales that don't have a neutral <laughs> feel feelings on that. Yeah. So I, I actually, I like neutral points for the most part. I didn't include it on my scale because these are, you know, sometimes people won't want to admit to something. Some of these things, like, uh, if a head transplant was possible, I would want to watch it. Uh, a lot of people, yeah. if they feel conflicted, they'll pick neutral, right? But when you're forced with it, you know, if there's a head transplant going on next door, you're either going to do it or not do it, right? You're either going to watch yeah, it or not yeah. watch it. If there's a car yeah, wreck no on the side of the road. sitting on the fence of, yeah. <laughs> of head transplants. <laughs> so no in this undecided scale, voters on head transplants. That's <laughs> funny. Okay, well, I'm, I'm glad I let you explain that. So, yeah. so this is, so there's some questions like this on here and I'll already explain, like a head transplant where it's kind of like the rubbernecking effect for me uh, th that that you explained where it's like, do I really want to see someone's <laughs> head get cut off and transplanted? I, I don't know. Like I've had a surgery before and so I, I don't, it's not the 
greatest thing to look at, but there's just <laughs> a little bit of like, well, how often am I going to get a chance to see a head transplant? It, it's right. for, for me, it's there's there's no uh, deep desire to see a head transplant for <laughs> me here. It's just like, OK, if the opportunity arises, I'll take a peek. I'll probably get a little I, I have kind of a weak stomach, so that's going to skew some of my answers. Where do you fall on the head transplant? You know, I think I'm a strong, I'm, I'm a strongly agree. I'm, I'm pretty morbidly curious, so I'm probably going to score pretty high on most of these. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the next one is, I think the supernatural is an interesting topic. I'm a uh, regular agree. So there's somewhat agree, agree, and strongly agree. And then the opposite right. with disagree. I really like the evolution of a lot of different superstitions and traditions and right. just various uh, various um, rituals and stuff like that that have evolved over time is something that fascinates me. I'm going to put you down for a strongly agree. Strongly Are you okay agree. with that? Okay. Yeah. Um, if I lived in medieval Europe, I would be interested in attending a public execution. Uh, see, here I'm a strongly agree because... And that's not even, I don't know how much I'd actually care about seeing the guillotine come down on someone's head. I'd probably, I wonder if I'd be looking through my fingers or something at that one, but I would like to see everyone else's reaction. It feels like right. a real social experience. I must strongly agree there. What are you on that one? Yeah, strongly agree. You know, I think a, <laughs> a, a public execution in medieval Europe is basically half of a head transplant. It's like the first half of the head transplant. So. <laughs> yeah, you just don't put it on somebody. So yeah, you're strongly, that's funny. Um, I'm curious about crime and enjoy reading detailed news accounts about murders and other violent crime. I, I, I'll put, I'll put in a agree, you know, it's not something that I find myself spending Right. Much of any time doing. And I certainly, you know, there's a zillion documentaries on this subject, but given more time sure. in life, um, sure, I, I would be curious. I just don't find myself doing it much. But I've, I've seen I think I watched like the Jeffrey Dahmer and Ed Gein documentary. I really right. love um, Mine Hunters on Netflix. Right. You a fan? Yeah, yeah. I, so like, I have a master's in forensic science. And so I, yeah, I'm a fan of, uh, of crime stuff. I think it's interesting. You, you had a master's in forensic science? Yeah. So I actually studied with um, a bunch of people that used to work at the FBI. So I have uh, the, all these great stories about <laughs> about crime and news accounts of murders and violent events. Really? Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Well, <laughs> Okay, well, will, will you no, consider say, busting a, sto a story out later? Because I feel like that's a heck of a <laughs> teaser. To, um, okay, so what am I putting you down for? I'll, I'll put agree on that you, one. Yeah, I mean, okay. because because it's something I'm so familiar with, I'm not, I like it. It's, it's interesting, excited. but it's not like super novel to me, right? Yeah, yeah. I'd be curious to see how an autopsy is performed. I must somewhat agree. It's kind of the same with the head transplant one for me. It's right. like, all right, well, I guess if someone's doing an autopsy, <laughs> I'll, I'll take a peek one time. Not something I want to do for a living. Um, I think you can chain you these into one? like one event. You know, you could have like 
the execution, the head <laughs> transplant, the autopsy. These are all just one big story, I think. Yeah, yeah. The supernatural, maybe. <laughs> if, if it's illegal, it's a crime. Um, <laughs> yeah. So a lot good. And if you're doing it because you think they're a witch, yeah, that chains all of them <laughs> together. Um, I would be curious to see how an autopsy is performed. Where are you on that? I'll go with agree on that one, too. Again, you know, okay. I've, done, I've done various kinds of... Uh, dissections and things and so it's interesting to me but again not super novel that's interesting how much novelty comes into this i'm going to yeah i'd like to talk about that subject a little bit yeah all right made a note to talk about that i'd be interested in attending or watching a video of an exorcism i'm gonna put like a somewhat disagree there's something like feels like a little bit of a waste of my time um, yeah. I just don't, I, man, now I'm like, now that I'm talking to you, I feel like I could get coaxed into a somewhat agree pretty easily. <laughs> I just, well, how about this? What like that, I kind between... of, I kind of don't take it seriously enough sure. to enjoy so, so would there be a difference between watching the video and attending one in person for you? Yeah, yeah, I'd be a little more interested in attending one. Yeah, I would be so awkward. I don't. I'm sort of an awkward person anyway. But if I'm like sitting in the corner during an exorcism, <laughs> like just waving as someone's like floating in the air, convulsing or whatever, um, I'd be like, okay, uh, do I look? Do I not look? What's the appropriate? There'd be a lot of inner dialogue going on. I think during the exorcism so right. what am i putting you down for you're a strongly agree let's let's do agree for that one too because i think for okay. me it would also depend you know i probably shouldn't have double barreled that with like attending or watching a video of it but what i was trying to do was get you. around yeah what i was trying to do was getting around some people who might like have i don't know certain issues with attending it in person but you know that's part of that's part of morbid curiosity part of it is kind of weighing these costs and benefits whether the costs are danger or sort of maybe moral based violations. Um, you know, for example, if you're Catholic, there might be something weird about attending an execution. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Uh, an exorcism, yeah. but it may be different to watch a video of it, you know? Um, so there are, uh -huh. you know, kind of various costs associated with that, that, that go into this mental calculation of, should I do this or should I not do this? Should I look at this? Should I not look at this? That one is definitely more of a novelty trip. I mean, some of this also feels a little influenced by scarcity as well, sure. which is like, it, 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 it's not just, you know, bungee jumping is something I'd like to do and is a novel experience, but I feel like I can bungee jump anytime that I want sure. to. Whereas sure. an exorcism, it's like, well, I better get better an exorcism in while I can. <laughs> when is this opportunity going to come up again? And that's how I feel like with a few of these where it's like, I don't know. You know what? You talked me into a somewhat agree on the exorcism <laughs> or I talked to myself into it just based on scarcity. I think that, you, you know, but that's an I important factor, I, right? Scarcity. You know, if you think about dangerous situations, like ideally you don't end up in them a lot. And so it's hard to gather information about them. And so scarcity is an important you know, factor going into that cost benefit analysis. So it's dangerous, but, uh, you know, I can't, I don't get this opportunity very often. Um, so yeah. that's kind of a pro, like uh, if you have a pro and cons column for these kinds of things. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm, I just feel like 
like you don't want me at your exorcism i'm gonna be in the way i'm gonna i'm gonna be so in my head because i i feel like one feeling i'd predict is that i'd be sitting there being like I don't know. I I was expecting to feel something and I'm kind of <laughs> how am I bored by an exorcism and then I'll right. just be upset that I'm bored. Um, but but we we share I don't know that we're going to necessarily talk about this. We we shared um, through email each other's scores on uh, on um, um, uh, seeking. thrill seeking sensation yeah. seeking. That's what it is. And I'm and I have a near perfect 10 score. You're, you're a perfect 10 on sensation-seeking. Um, <laughs> which is characterized by not to bounce around too much all over the place, but it's kind of, it's it's related to some of this stuff. Yeah, right? for sure. And, and so this is uh, boredom susceptibility scale. Oh, you don't get bored too easily. You're just an average in boredom. That's pretty good. I get I've been, I'm a nine right now. I used to be like an 11. I've been working on getting more comfortable with boredom because it gets me in trouble um, that I'm not okay with being bored. Um, disinhibition um, subscale, you're a seven out of 10. I think I was the same. Experience seeking subscale, I'm a 10 out of 10. You're a nine. Thrill and adventure seeking, you're a six out of 10. Surprised to hear that. I'm a 10 out of 10 um, there. So that that's also that's also kind of, relating to some of these morbid yeah. curious do you want to do you want to talk about that a little bit i'm such yeah. a i no, never no. i'm not a very organized host of a podcast i kind of go all over the place i don't know if you've heard my show but i don't uh i go on so many tangents it's uh <laughs> it's a lot for some people to follow i mean i think that's the way to do it right that's kind of how natural conversation flows you don't have like an yeah. agenda when you're just chatting with someone about the things you're going to talk about yeah um, yeah, I think sensation seeking is an interesting topic because, you know, the scale that you and I took the, uh, I think it's called the sensation seeking scale. Um, it's, it's pretty old. I think it's from the original one, I think was made in like the sixties maybe. And so some of the items are a little dated, um, but it's very widely used. Um, but it's also binary. So it's like, <laughs> it's not yeah. even yes, no, it's not even yes, no binary. It's like, I prefer wild and uninhibited parties or I prefer a party where I can talk to everyone and feel at home or something like that. It's, it's like, like well, I like both of those parties. Yeah, 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 depends exactly, on the exactly. mood. Depends on, I mean, exactly, I mean, exactly. is it St. Patrick's Day or is it Thanksgiving? <laughs> you right. know, those are two different. Yeah, right. I, I, I had this, you know, there's always... It, it's great that we find issues with these surveys because we can improve upon them sure, uh, yeah. through time. Um, and and yeah, that that was one that I would have uh, again liked to have seen a a six or seven point scale like you've created. Yeah, um, yeah. So sensation seeking definitely matters for morbid curiosity because if you're not willing to experience things that are a little scary or so, especially like adventure seeking and the thrill seeking subscales, uh, or I think what was it? It was the last two they were adventure adventure and exploration and then like thrill seeking or something like that um, um yeah it's uh the last two are thrill and adventure seeking and an experience yes, right. seeking right i think both of those probably matter quite a bit for morbid curiosity boredom susceptibility maybe maybe not i'm not sure uh i, I did run a pilot study uh with some some colleagues showing that people who are morbidly curious are a bit higher on boredom susceptibility. Not too surprising. You know, if you aren't stimulated 
enough with the things around you, one thing you might do is seek out stimuli that are uh, maybe have some elements of danger to them that you mm. know are a little more exciting, a little higher in sensations. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, it's definitely related, but it doesn't um, it doesn't explain a lot of it, right? It doesn't explain a lot of the variance in how morbidly curious people are. Hmm. Um, all right. The next one on the morbidly curious scale is if I lived in ancient Rome, I'd be interested in, in attending a gladiatorial uh, fight. I'm actually going to put a somewhat disagree only because I'm I'm a real buzzkill when it comes to sports. <laughs> generally, I get real judgy in a crowd when everyone's like chanting and stuff. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. all right, enough. I just I just don't care that much. It's like, well, if I get a ride in a time machine out of it to go back to ancient Rome, <laughs> sure. That's pretty disappointing that I get in a time machine and that's where I end up at some sporting <laughs> event that's slightly different than sporting events that we have. Uh, right. But but uh, I don't know, someone being eaten by a lion or say, hey, maybe that does a little. I'm still I think I'm a somewhat disagree. Sure. How about you? I think I think I'll put a regular agree for that one. Regular agree. Okay. All Regular right. agree. Yeah. Because like you said, um, you know, it's not it's not terribly dissimilar from some sports we have today. I mean, there are certainly some differences, uh, especially at the end. Uh, you know, there's there's one winner, but that means something very different in the Coliseum than it does uh, in boxing. Right. Right. Um, I would be interested in watching a documentary on motives behind real murderers. So this is pretty similar uh, to the one about I'm interested in crime and uh, yeah, I'm right. an I'm an agree. It, it, yeah. it, this is something that it's like I could see myself doing something like that for a living and enjoying it enough, but right. Um, I just for whatever reason don't find myself watching a lot of that stuff. Yeah, I think I'm also an agree for that one. All right, I'm interested in seeing how limb amputation works. I mean, I must somewhat agree it's the same kind of you, you you may need to give me a puke bucket if I'm going to be in the <laughs> operating room. And it's such a hopefully the person's knocked out and not, not just I think that if you're getting your limb amputated um, and seeing my reaction to you getting your limb it's amputated, that's not going to help the, yeah, this the is situation. A, this is a, a modern amputation, not like a civil war, you know, butcher uh, yeah. knife <laughs> amputation. Yeah, yeah. But it is, it's, it's, it's interesting. Uh, well, where you bring are you up, on you bring that? Up a, I think, I think I'm probably, probably a regular agree on that one too. Okay. Um, you, you brought up a good point though about needing a puke bucket. So another thing that, uh, factors into morbid curiosity is something called disgust sensitivity, mm -hmm. which I'm sure you've probably heard of before, but basically just the extent to which you can handle various kinds of disgusting things. Mm. And so obviously if you're high in disgust sensitivity, so you're very sensitive to disgusting material, uh, it's going to be more difficult to engage. Yeah. It's going to be more difficult to engage in these kinds of morbid activities or to watch them or to see them. Right. And the more personal it is. So if you're like, yeah. in the room while the limb amputation is going on it's more disgusting right so it's more yeah. difficult to watch and so that's kind of part of the the cost on that cost benefit analysis like uh it yeah. makes you feel bad right makes you sick i yeah i have kind of a weak stomach first i mean i don't 
I don't mind a bit of blood and everything and I can handle it okay, but it's yeah, I was just like meditating yesterday and doing a body scan and I was just thinking about just the sack of like fluids and organs and stuff <laughs> that is me and if my skin was transparent just like how gross everything would look and uh <laughs> then you like a little piece of your skin falls out or or, or rips, you get a cut or something and then you you make a mess you you like fall on the floor (laughs) and then you gotta you you fall out and then you have to clean yourself (laughs) up life is just such a kind of gross experience for me and i got a real issue with bathroom stuff i mean that's not unheard of of course but uh, i think i'm more sensitive than others so that that's probably influencing me quite a bit on some things i find the occult interesting uh, is the next one. I'm going to say agree. I've never looked into it, but if you're like, are you interested in hearing about the occult? I'd be like, sure. Yeah, I, would yeah, I think I'm going to agree as that. well on that one. All right. I feel like we're not too dissimilar. Um, a next one is if I saw a street fight breakout and I knew I couldn't intervene, I would try to watch. Well, I have done that in the past, so I, if I'm being honest with myself, I have to be a somewhat agree, I think. Uh, I think I would, say, I would say strongly agree because I think I know I would do it, you know? It's not, remember, yeah. it's, it's important to know that uh, it's not about how much you enjoy it necessarily, right? It's yeah. about your, some of it is, like, are you interested in this? Um, but in that case, it's more about would you do it? Would you think, do you yeah. think you would do it? I think I'm strongly yeah, agree yeah. on that. You don't want to see a car flipped over and and uh, yeah, nobody wants to see people. Bits. Yeah, but you look. Yeah, yeah. I've also I've also been in that experience. I was in uh, in Sicily, and the first thing I saw when I got out of my car was a, a fight in a market. So <laughs> I've also been the, been the bystander uh, when I knew I couldn't <laughs> intervene and it was going to be fine. But I just stood there and watched like everyone else. <laughs> yeah, I've done that. I've intervened as well, but. Um, my, uh, my favorite part of a crime show is learning about why the killer did what he did. My favorite part. I kind of like how it's solved and everything else. I'd say an agree. I mean, much of, um, much of the here we are podcast. We talk a lot about how the mind works and psychology and evolutionary biology and psychology and, uh, why we have these preferences and aversions and stuff. And so. Yeah, that that's that's something that uh, that interests me. I do big big plug for the Mindhunter show on Netflix. I think that that show is phenomenally done. Um, where are you on that? Yeah, I'll say agree too because even though I do think that's a really fascinating part, um, I don't know if it's my favorite. It might be, but not, it's not it's not a clear winner. So I'll go with agree. For that one too. Yeah, I like to know how they either got away with it or screwed yeah, yeah. up, how it's solved. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on with crimes. Yeah. Um, so the reason that like, one is worded like it is is because it loads onto the uh, minds or motives of dangerous people. So understanding, you know, it's important to understand why dangerous people do what they do because it helps you sort of identify them and avoid them in the future, right? So it's very specific mm. about. Uh, the motives, like why did they, why they committed the crime. Mm, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Um, I'm going to 
write that down for further discussion. Okay. Um, I would like to see how bodies are prepared for funerals. <sighs> One time I'll do it. I somewhat agree. <laughs> And then it, it, all, all I need is the one time, and then I, I'm, then I'm pretty sure I must strongly disagree from there on out. Where are you on that? Uh, regular agree for that one, too. Regular yeah. agree. Okay. Um, a documentary on voodoo would interest me. I mean, there are things about, so I, I had someone on, um, it, it's, it's uh, affectionately called The Body Farm. Um, yeah, yeah, and, in Tennessee, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had someone on that works there and I would like to see that. I, I but there's something that's there's something beautiful about nature taking its course and stuff. Whereas yeah. whereas a mortician eh, that strikes me as just like stranger. It's weird <laughs> that we stuff people and I don't Have know. You had a mortician on the show? Me out. I haven't. You should I get one should. on the show then. Oh man, so many <laughs> topics for Halloween. You're absolutely right. I even know someone that would be good. Um, all right, a documentary on voodoo would interest me. I'm going to put myself down for a disagree, um, just because I don't take it seriously. Sure. I guess. Yeah, uh, where I'm are you on that, one? on that? I think I'm. I'm going to oh, go with the agree because I'm interested in, you know, why people believe those kinds of things and how that relates to, you know, experiences they have. So one of the most interesting books I've ever read was called the, oh, it was called the, the, the real, there's like an academic version of the book and then a, a non-academic version of the book. The academic version I think is called the Eth Ethnobiology of the Haitian Zombie. It's by Wade Davis. And then his pop, like pop sci version of that is called The Serpent and the Rainbow. Really great book about, uh, Haitian voodoo and the zombies uh, and they're kind of their place in that. So basically there are these uh, rural witch doctors called, I think they were called Bokors. It's been a few years since I've read the book now. Um, mm. But basically what they do is when you have a dispute, instead of going to a judge, you might go to a Bokor or a witch doctor and you have them, you could have them zombify essentially uh, the person that you're having a dispute with. So I think Wade Davis talks about, Two brother, I think it was two brothers having this. Wait, wait, inheritance. wait, wait. I don't even understand what you just said. <laughs> oh, all right, I'll let you continue talking. Well, if there was a documentary on it, would you watch it now? Well, yeah, you've talked to me. <laughs> so, so during a dispute, it's like they, uh, they don't you know, normally you would take go to care court, of their right? lawn. Yeah, they, they, they don't mow their lawn as much as right. I'd prefer. It's driving down the property value here in our village. And then, <laughs> so turn them into a zombie for me? Yeah, basically? I mean, probably zombification might be a, a more serious offense, maybe. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty wild. Right. You know, they, so, That's yeah, fascinating. I, I recommend the book. You should read the book and let me know what you think. It's really, really great. I... Uh, might do that. I don't. There's a. Uh, I mean, books. It's like yeah. I, maybe it has an audio book. Yeah, maybe. I just have. What's your book list at right now? Can I ask you? Just, just throw me an estimate. <laughs> Very large. That, that's, your, that's your book. <laughs> I have like, I have at least fifty books, where I'm like, ooh, I definitely want to read that yeah. one. Um, but 
That is fascinating. Well, maybe I'll at least get them as a guest on the show or something. Do you find yourself converting a lot of people toward uh, morbid <laughs> curiosity, toward like uh, the horror genre and that sort of thing? Yeah, I'm basically, is, you, you know, you like make an some evangelist. compelling points. Yeah, I'm like a horror yeah. evangelist, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. So do you find do you find that you get people interested in it sometimes? Sometimes I think I think some people have not not you. It doesn't seem like, but some people have kind of this uh, this reaction to let's say like a horror movie is especially prominent with horror movies. Uh, you ask someone, you know, do you like horror movies? And they're like, no, no, I never watch them. I don't like them. Well, like of you know, how do you know you don't like them if you don't watch them, right? Uh, and they don't watch right. them because they think they will be afraid. They don't like the feeling that they'll get. They don't like the feelings of anxiety that they think they're going to have. But there's something really cool about kind of coming out on the other side of that. And we can talk about this later too, but we find that in some of the haunted house studies we do where people come in and <laughs> we, we've deemed these people white knucklers. So people who are really afraid, you know, they squeeze their hands. You can kind of see the, the white on their knuckles. Um, but one thing these white knucklers get, these people who are really afraid of the the haunted house get is when they're done, they tell us they feel like they've learned something about themselves. They've kind of, mm. you know, taught or they've developed or they've, they've, uh, learned kind of what they're capable of doing, uh, when they didn't think they could do it before. And I think the same is true sometimes with morbidly curious things. Um, yeah. you think you might not like something, you think it might not be interesting. And then you find out that people in Haiti zombify people when they are mad at them. Uh, yeah, and it becomes a lot more yeah. interesting. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, that's that's why, you know, I, I think that intuitively, um, which I mean, I guess we've already covered this idea intuitively. A lot of these things don't appeal to me, right. but being a thrill seeker, being someone, you know, I've 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 traveled for 17 years. I've had uh, I, I've had a lot of um, I've had a lot of novel life experiences and okay. right. um part of that i really appreciate and part of that is just because i've constantly when it comes to that sort of thing pushed myself out of my comfort zone and have have found that um there is some growth from that so a sure. lot of these i i'm probably a couple of uh, uh degrees higher than like intellectually knowing like, but if I forced myself to do that, sure. I bet I'd enjoy the experience. Sure. Um, so and, whereas you know, if I it, answered intuitively, it would be a different um, yeah. score. Yeah. I think, you know, no sc scales are always a proxy for right behavior. You know, it's just, it's just a way to get kind of get the pulse, you know, on average, how morbidly curious is Shane. Like yeah. if we were to give him some things to do, which ones would he be interested in? Which ones would he not be interested in? You know, there, you know, behavioral measures are really good. So you can, I have a, I have a study where I give people, you know, I flash images at them and one image is morbid and one image is not. And then I ask them, which image would you like to see for longer, you know, to try to get it kind of this information gathering behavior. Or for example, I give people, uh, two sentences and one sentence will say, uh, and, and the idea is they pick a sentence that they think they are interested in. So one sentence will say, click here if you would like to see a man who saved his friend from drowning, like a picture of the man. The other sentence will say, click here if you'd like to see a man who killed his girlfriend and ate her. Now there's no reason, there's no reason to click <laughs> to see the photo of the man 
who killed his girlfriend and ate her, but a lot of people select that, right? And a lot of people who score high on this morbid curiosity scale select that. Mm. Uh, in particular, people who score high on something like violence or minds of dangerous people. Um, and so the idea, you know, that's a, that's probably a better, uh, proxy for how morbidly curious someone is, but the scale gets pretty close. It's a pretty, it's a pretty strong correlation between, um, how many of the morbid pictures or morbid descriptions you choose, uh, and how high you score on, uh, the morbid curiosity scale. Hmm. That's interesting. One of the, I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but they, they, um, one of the early ways that they picked up on kind of uh, symmetry and attractiveness and how it works was um, early photography. They they had um, they had the uh, it, basically someone someone figured out how to take negatives and combine them, like basically very very rudimentary uh, morphing. Um, mm -hmm. like would be on social media or the internet these days. And they took the, they took a collection of all these criminals and they thought if they morphed all of the faces together, <laughs> they, that they would be able to be like, this is what the, the stereotype, this is the prototypical criminal face. So keep up, keep a, uh, keep a lookout <laughs> keep for a, a face like this. It, right? And it turned out to be a very, very attractive like man yeah. or woman because attractiveness <laughs> has, has a lot more to do with an absence of flaws than it has to do with some like right. added beauty thing and, or, or something. And averages, right? Like if you average a bunch of faces, odds are it's going to be a decently attractive face. Yeah, yeah. And so, but it, but it's just it really goes to show you that that it is just a part of human nature to like you have uh, set a few questions back um, to to be scanning the environment to be to be understanding the um, the motives of uh, of of people that. Um, that might possibly be like uh, uh, doing uh, uh, that might possibly be doing like hu hugely costly acts within a yeah. um, social environment. People who are bad social partners, right? People who are yeah. in this case, like very dangerous social partners. And, mm. you know, it, it's sometimes lost on people when you live in a large city, but um, certainly for most of human history and even for people who live in smaller towns uh, in 2021, it really matters like who your neighbors are, right? It really matters the people you interact with every day. Um, I think in the case of people who live in large cities, it would be akin to like who you work with, right? Um, who do you spend most of your time around and are they trustworthy? Are they dangerous? Are they not dangerous? Um, and I think that sometimes gets lost on people uh, when you're surrounded, like in Chicago, you know, there are what several million people. Uh, so I don't care what most of the strangers here are like, but the people I see every day, that's more similar to what, you know, the human mind kind of evolved to, to deal with. Mm. And I think we think about that a lot more than we think about necessarily like people who live in my city. Hmm. There, there's something like some of the acts that are able to be done in a modern society. It's almost easier to be a psychopath when there's just another city you can move to or whatever compared to yeah. if, if you're just hanging out with the same 40 people same in your psychopaths. tribe for a lifetime, <laughs> <laughs> you, you can't, yeah. you can't really do things like as abnormal as Jeffrey Dahmer. It's going to raise <laughs> right. a few eyebrows, but, but in, in a city there's, 
so so because there's opportunity for um more extreme expressions of mm-hmm. of w- whatever these uh different psychopathic behaviors are or whatever there's there's also it, it's almost like um uh it, it it's almost like a concentrate or something it, it's almost it's almost um sort of like candy is to be we evolved to like sweet berries or something like that and then candy like hijacks that reward right. system there's there's something with um with morbid curiosity in our in a modern society with serial killers and stuff where it's like <laughs> wow that's so beyond anything yeah. that we like evolved to I feel like maybe I'm wrong on that. Um, no, I think, I think you're probably right. I think, uh, you know, if you live in a small community and there's someone who is, uh, is <laughs> exhibiting, you know, behaviors that make them look like they're going to kill someone, you know, you ostracize them or you deal with yeah. them in some way. And I yeah, think yeah. in, in larger societies, like let's say in Chicago, the idea is that like, you don't know, maybe the stranger on the street is a serial killer, right? Um, you're yeah. not, you're not around them every day. And so you don't get to observe them in depth. And so there might be particular cues that you can look for, uh, like driving a windowless van or yeah. you know, hanging out outside apartment buildings at night. There are other, you know, there are certain kinds of things that we might look for that just, we wouldn't need to look for if we lived in smaller scale, uh, communities. Right, right. Wait, if, what's your take on the serial killer fetish stuff that uh, that, that it, they, you know they get a lot of get a lot of fan mail and stuff? Right. Um, like, what's my take on it uh, as a, as to why or, that happens? Yeah. What's driving some of that? Um. Hmm. I. You know. I don't know. I, I can kind of pontificate about what it might be, but I'm, the honest answer is I don't know, and neither does anyone else. Fair enough. Um, but I, I think it probably has to do with, you know, ser- serial killers do get, uh, some amount of spotlight and there might be some attraction to people who uh, they're sometimes charismatic, right? I imagine like the charismatic serial killers get more fan mail. Like Ted Bundy probably got more fan mail than Jeffrey Dahmer, who was not, not quite as charismatic. Um, yeah, yeah. so there's probably some charisma stuff going on. There's some false cues some false cues of status, right? Like false Mm -hmm. cues of prestige and status that are going on that, that might drive that. I mean, I think the issue is that people aren't very good at dealing with, uh, large numbers, uh, like percentages and large numbers. So for example, if there are what, 350 million people in the U S something, something around that, um, if only, you know, 0.001% of people will exhibit that behavior, that's still a decent number of people sending fan mail to Jeffrey Dahmer, right? Like, yeah, even if it's a very small percentage, right, um, right. So when you get when you get large numbers of uh, of organisms, you're going to get these odd behaviors that might be maladaptive, right. might be you know um, that just exist because there's variation in how people, there's variation in our genomes, there's variation in the way that we grow yeah. up, there's variation in the way those interact, and when you have several hundred million iterations of that there's going to be some yeah, that yeah. have weird a billion people right? know who jeffrey dahmer is there's going to yeah. be a few people that are that have that are, some sort of interest or attraction or whatever right. exactly um, some of it's just random you know some of it's just i see it's just random but probably there's some stuff with charisma going on and with like false cues of status and things like that 
Um, I, I, the next question is, I'd be curious enough to watch a duel if I lived in the <laughs> Wild West. I, I'm going to put agree. I think duels are hilarious um, <laughs> in ways. I, I like the ones before guns got good, you know, before uh, yeah. where it was like. You'd go. You had to do a couple was, tries, right? It was a couple tries. You got to reload, yeah, you'd maybe. Reload and stuff. <laughs> it was like a whole like yeah. five minute long thing, and then and then like you didn't even die. Then you just like a wound would fester and get an infection, and then maybe you'd recover, maybe you'd die. Uh, yeah, like a, mus- a musket duel where you got to like pack the powder in, you know? Yeah, pack the ball yeah. In. <laughs> yeah, that's. I'd check that out for sure. Um, up it, up it strongly agree. You're gonna do this. You know what? You yeah. talked me into a strongly. All <laughs> right. I, I know this isn't how you're supposed to do. Stu- well, no one's supposed to do studies uh, on a podcast, um, <laughs> chatting about each thing with the person that made it. Um, I would be interested in watching an interview with an imprisoned serial killer talking about his crimes. Um. Yeah, I mean, I like I like Mindhunter a lot. I think yeah, that's one yeah. of the strengths of the show is that it used real uh, interviews. Um, so I'll put a strongly agree on that one. Where are you? Yeah, strongly agree. One of my one of the most interesting shows that I watched recently is called I'm a Killer. It's on Netflix. I think it has like two seasons, and they do exactly that. They go in and they interview people on death row, and they just talk about like what they did and why they did it. Kind of the whole you know. Um, they tell the story and then you hear the story from like the other, the people, like the family, for example. And I don't know, it's a very interesting show. Man, listeners are gonna. Uh, you guys have so many recommendations now follow <laughs> up on after this. Um, I think the preservation of bodies like taxidermy or mummification is interesting. <sighs> interesting. All right. I mean, I'll do a somewhat agree only because you gave me the lowdown on Haitian zombies, but otherwise I'd be a somewhat disagree. I just don't, I just don't care that much. Um, sure. About right. taxidermy. And so what, what am I putting you down for? I'll go for an agree, regular agree. All right. It's not All as right. interesting as some of the other sort of body things, but I think it's, I think it's interesting. All right. Well, you're going to have to talk me into this one. I'm curious about how Ouija boards work. I'm just a <laughs> straight up disagree. I'm not a strong yeah. disagree. I'm happy to hear someone's take on it. I just don't really think that. I mean, uh, I, I, I guess how they work in terms of how do they work psychologically is a different could question. Be either way. How do yeah, they, no, could be. How do they work? Yeah, I think. how, But I think how do they work? Uh, encompasses both of those because if you don't yeah. believe in spirits, you don't believe in ghosts or whatever Ouija board you're supposed to demons, whatever they're supposed to summon. Uh, you might be interested in why why they do what they do, right? And if you do believe in them, then you might be interested in <laughs> how it's contacting some kind of spirit world. Yeah, and I love to think of myself as a curious person. See, I knew you were going to do that. You bumped me up to a somewhat agree all the way. Okay. That's two points up. That's not bad. Uh, that was a convincing a argument. What can I? What can I put you down for? I'll go with agree, and I will say that the Ouija board question is one that I've probably gotten the most feedback on. So when I get people this survey, really? a lot of times, yeah. So I, a lot of times, I have like a comment at the end. It'll say like, oh, "Thanks for taking the survey. If you have any comments or anything you'd like me to know, you know, you can type it here." 
And I think people have made a pretty good argument for the Ouija board question not being the best question. I, th- I still think it's a decent proxy because of the reason I explained to you. But hmm. you'll get people who say, I'm not interested in it because I know how it works. Okay, you know, fair, fair point. And sometimes they mean, I know it doesn't work. And sometimes they mean, I know how it contacts demons or spirits or whatever. Um, hmm. So sometimes people will put, you know, disagree because they already know how this works. So they're not interested because they already know how it works. And, and in that particular question, I did phrase it as know how it works, not just interested in like using one or in seeing someone use one. So probably that question could be rewarded, but. Or maybe it just brings out the Dunning-Kruger and people, uh, <laughs> maybe. Uh, uh, perhaps. Maybe that's, maybe you corrected some of my Dunning-Kruger. You moved me out of the disagree and thinking <laughs> I knew everything and to, uh, no, I wouldn't mind learning more. I prefer violent movies and TV shows to be uncensored. I must strongly agree. Strongly agree there for me too. Um, being a criminal profiler who studies the personality of murderers would be an interesting job. Um, yes, I strongly agree. Yeah, also strongly agree for me. Um, yes, there's so few jobs that I would enjoy in life, but I could do that. But that might be one of them. Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, I'm not sure I'm competent enough for it, but I would enjoy it. <laughs> I, I'm curious what the deadliest toxin in the world would do to the body. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm a somewhat agree. Deadliest toxin in the world? Well, maybe I should be an agree. Okay, an agree. I, what's it do? Do they explode? Now that I'm... <sighs> Now I'm kind of a strong, I just talked to myself into a strong agree. <laughs> I mean, does something crazy happen? I, yeah, I, hmm. All right. I think, I think, I've, uh, I think I've successfully done the whole, uh, you know, teach a man to fish versus give a man a fish kind of thing. I think <laughs> yeah. I just taught you to fish. You're, you're talking yourself into. Yeah, you <laughs> certainly have. Now. Where are you on this one? <laughs> You know, I think I'm a regular agree. I think that's the okay. first one that you've, yeah. I beat you. Wow. <laughs> um, I think I think witchcraft would be an interesting topic to learn about. Another one I, that I get a lot of feedback on because people are like, I already know about it. Okay, fair. <laughs> well, then they are interested if they already, or at least were interested at some point. Where are you on that? Yeah. Um, uh, I, think I'm a, I think I'm a regular agree because, I, I mean, I don't believe in witchcraft is a proper thing, but, but I'm interested still in, for the same reason I'm interested in like, let's say voodoo or, uh, you know, the occult or any of those other, um, supernatural. Yeah. Yeah. I, I decided I'm going to look into paganism a bit this month because I'm like, I don't know enough about it. And, um, (laughs) I, I tend to, I tend to be interested in, um, different, Rich, religious rituals and spiritual practices yeah. and stuff just uh as someone that tends to never believe in any of them i'm still right. pretty curious about how they how they work and the they, influence that they have on others i mean i think they have to be i think that's actually part of part of the allure of like rituals and mythologies and um other kinds of odd religious practices, I think part of it is driven by morbid curiosity, right? Part of it is driven by this sort of, I don't want to say innate because that's a very loaded word, but this, um, 
desire to see, you know, potentially scary, dangerous or weird things. I mean, there's lots of other things going on with rituals, with religions, with myths. There's lots of other psychological factors in that. But I think that morbid curiosity plays a pretty strong role. Yeah. Well, Halloween, a lot of death going on, right? With a lot of, wasn't it? It isn't some of the origins of uh, Celtic or origin of, of kind of season change and winter being this um, kind of deadly, dangerous time to be a lot. All the crops are dying and stuff. So you right. make an offering and and right. uh, and and kind of process uh, death and certain it's kind of in the. In the same way that you had mentioned, I forget which question it was related to, maybe horror movies or whatever. Oh, that's what, yeah, it was horror movies where you said um, some people watch a horror movie, like it more than they thought, feel like they had personal growth for doing something that they just basically getting out of their comfort zone. Um, Death being something that's always going to be on our minds, a part of our lives something that we have to uh, a source of anxiety and yeah. um finding ways of uh dealing with that ritualizing that um yeah sort of makes I mean, sense yeah and i think being curious about things that are scary in the same way i mean you're, you're a comedian you probably know this like making jokes about things that are uncomfortable makes them bearable right um, this is yeah. maybe a com- conversation for another time, but I've definitely had conversations with some of my colleagues <laughs> arguing that comedy and horror are actually the two most closely related uh, genres uh, of entertainment. I was going to talk to you about this. Do you happen to know um, uh, Professor Peter McGraw by chance? McGraw, that sounds really familiar. Where's he He's at? He's a humor researcher out of Boulder, Colorado. I think I've read of some mine. of this stuff. I think I wrote a book called the humor code and his thing actually, as I was looking through some of your work, um, it was very related. I thought because his, his, his whole thing is um, it's, it's not exactly perfect and covering every single context of everything, but his whole thing is the benign violation theory, which is things are either yeah. too boring to be funny or too much of a violation to be funny. So like yeah. a grandfather too boring, an erection too much of a, uh, too inappropriate or whatever, but a grandfather's erection, that's hilarious. Um, <laughs> they're not, they're not supposed to have those things. Um, right. and, and it seems like, there's a relationship between haunted houses and, and horror movies because when when you when you were saying oh a lot of people um, say they don't like horror movies well some people don't like being scared or being kept up at night or having nightmares or whatever and that's their fear maybe going into yeah. it mine is is that. I'm worried I'm going to be so bored or it's just so (laughs) like, I really like Shaun of the dead or like evil dead or whatever. Like that's kind of like self-aware or whatever and playful about it because that's just kind of how I view much of the horror genre anyway. And then there's sometimes a thing like I, I thought the saw was really good. Um, and I like Blair Witch Project, I remember like 20 years ago, 25 years ago or whatever, that it actually like got me, you know, yeah. a little bit, um, yeah. like even get out 
didn't quite get me as much as all the hype uh was but it, it was it was like okay it it it, it yeah. moved the needle a little bit and a lot of times uh i think those i think the one that came out that was popular the witch uh, of the like witch is, colonial the witch times. is really creepy yeah it's very atmospheric it just but it's not scary. I, it's not, it wasn't scary to me, and it was it was yeah. stylistically interesting. And yeah, yeah, it was it, an interesting. It was, it was an interesting horror movie, but not a super scary one. I didn't think. And and but so you know, many oh, of them are. I always thought Freddy Krueger, like Nightmare on Elm Street stuff, like always seemed kind of silly to me and it just didn't yeah so it was it was so there must be something like the benign violation stuff going on with horror and well you even used the same phrase that i hadn't realized this before but you said you know it kind of got me i think we do something similar with jokes right like especially if you pull a prank on it's like i oh, got me. like you fooled me right or a magician like i oh, you fooled yeah. me you got me i think there's a lot of similarities in those kinds of things between you know com- like comedians magicians uh and horror creators you know they're all out to kind of get you hmm well safely, right? i wrote this to down to because i i, I want to maybe at least when we're done with this talk about expected outcomes um yeah and because we're, we're going to be talking about potential therapeutic uses for yeah. uh some of this stuff as well super interesting um but i'll table that to get through this uh i am curious uh, what a battle looked like in in the middle ages uh i find war so annoying but um am i but i'm still i feel like i'm a strongly agree like the 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 same with like the musket situation of like back when it was hard to kill somebody um (laughs) there's like that's it was it was just that much more brutal right yeah i think i'm a strong agree there too uh, you know, when you're a kid and you see like a catapult or whatever, you're like, whoa, that thing seems like so badass. I'm sure the reality of a catapult is like not terribly <laughs> effective. Right. Uh, <laughs> things always break. And Anya, I think there'd be a lot of hilarious things about battles in the Middle Ages. What are you? Are you an agree or a strongly agree? I think I'm a strong agree. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. But I think you're right. I think there's probably a like if you were to videotape a, a medieval battle, there would be a, like a large blooper reel of things that went wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm curious about the minds of violent people. I must strongly agree there. Yeah, I'm strongly actually surprised. I kind of don't look into this more than I do. Of all of the things in psychology, I would have thought that. All right, <laughs> so now we get our results. So this is. This is uh, from from one to six, six being the maximum. And um, so my total score is 4.79. Yours was 5.42. Do you find that it fluctuates from time to time, depending yeah, on your it mood? Fluctu- it fluctuated a little more this time because I was, this is definitely, you definitely have the record for like most time taken. For taking the survey. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I thought about it, you know, and I discussed it with someone. Yeah. And so I think my answers changed a little bit just because I thought about it a little more. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like if I don't think about it, I think I actually score a little higher. I'm like, yeah, I would, I would do that. Definitely. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I think morbid curiosity is not, it's probably not fixed throughout your life, right? I mean, people who are high on it as a teenager are going to be also high on it as an adult or like above the average probably, but it should decline, right? I mean, if it really is, if I, if, if what I think it's about is what it's actually about, which is sort of learning or simulating different dangerous situations to learn about them, that, that's not the overt goal, but that's kind of the, the functional you know, goal of it. Um, if it is about that, then the more you do that and the longer you live, you know, the more chances you've had to like been there, done that. I've seen that. I, I know what a battle in the middle ages might have looked like. I know yeah, what a fight yeah. on the street looks like. And so it should decline a little bit with age, I would think. Um, mm. It should be high when you're, when you're young, when you're a teenager, sort of becoming an adult and like getting into the real world. And it should decline, I would think, with age. I mean, I'm, I might also, I, I do have kind of a infectious indifference um, toward life generally. So I might have just <laughs> rubbed off on you a little bit too. Um, my bodily violation score is, is uh, 4.33. Yours is 5.17. Violence, my violence score is 5.17. Yours is 5.83. Minds of dangerous people, 5.5, which is my highest. Um, mine's uh, yours is five, we're the exact same there. Uh, supernatural danger, 4.17. You're full, uh, one, uh, above me with 5.17 on supernatural danger. Are you above average? I think I have averages on there too. Are you above average on all the categories? On all of them, yeah. The, yeah. Yeah, the the means are all right above three. Does that yeah. what's that mean? It, 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 so so I never actually went. I never went to uh, you know school or anything. So I I don't yeah. know some of the nitty gritty of this. But when you're constructing a survey, it, yeah. is with the golden standard to hopefully get it so that the mean is exactly three. Is I that what you'd be it, kind of aiming I, for? Uh, I think it depends, but in general, yes, just because a lot of human trait, I mean, a lot of things in nature broadly, but especially when it comes to, um, like an organism's traits, a lot of them are normally distributed, which means that there are a few people that have it kind of in the extreme, a few people that have it, uh, very little of it. And a lot of people are kind of in the middle. So you get this bell curve kind of distribution of mm -hmm. scores, right? And so I actually didn't know what was going to happen when I first started working on this. I was a little worried that there would be too, like it would be skewed one way or the other. Um, so I was pretty happy to see that almost every time that I run a study with this, it comes out pretty normally distributed, especially since I don't have a median point. I don't have a middle point, which means people are, um, you know, if I had a middle point, I think a lot of people would choose that for some of these. Um, mm -hmm. And that might inflate the, the average, the number of average scores. But the fact mm. that it's right around three each time I do it and I don't have three as like an option, you know, or I guess I don't have a middle point as an option. Um, it's good. I, I think it, it probably is, is approximating whatever morbid curiosity is as a trait pretty well. Um, so there are a few people that score really high, a few people that score really low, but most people are somewhere kind of in the middle. Mm -hmm. um, cool. Well, I don't know where exactly to start because I I have you for 
27 more minutes and you do so much fascinating stuff. <laughs> um, we, it, it, I'm glad that we got it to get into a lot of that. That was, there, we're an hour in, that's how long it took me to get through the <laughs> survey, but that, that led to good conversation. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess one of the things, you know what, we better just dive into the biggest uh, subject because I, that I'm interested in, because I don't know how long it's going to take, but the, the, some of the stuff that you're working on, um, with, uh, with anxiety and people with, um, hiring who has, uh, do horror fans tend to have higher or lower anxiety and then uh, getting into, uh, horror as possibly a coping mechanism or a training mechanism, possibly even a therapeutic tool. I'd really love to chat about all of that. <laughs> if you would, if you wanted to throw in some stuff about haunted houses or whatever, cause it's that time of year, um, feel free, but I'll let you steer the ship about a, a little bit. Um, and I'll, I'll have a zillion questions. I'm sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, maybe a good place to start would be to think about, you know, what's the, what's the pur- purpose of anxiety? What does it do? Right. Um, it's not just maladaptive, right. It's adaptive to have some anxiety about things. Otherwise you would be entirely unmotivated. Um, and so when you have anxiety, what you do is you, you're hypervigilant. So you surveil your environment for threats. You ruminate on past things that happen in order to try to improve them. You predict, try to predict future events in order to better handle them. Um, but kind of at the, at the center of all that is this idea of dealing with threatening situations, right? Uh, and I think that morbid curiosity is very similar. It's very much about dealing with threatening situations. It's more on the learning side, like learning about them, but it's very much about learning how to deal with threats. And again, this is not um, necessarily kind of the uh, what people are cognizant of. You know, they don't go into a horror movie thinking, all right, now I'm going to learn how to deal with, you know, <laughs> scary things in my life. Um, mm-hmm. but people with anxiety are not really doing that either. Right. Uh, it's sort of a, an, a subconscious almost kind of process. Um, and so, you know, even at that very first level, uh, we can see that morbid curiosity and anxiety have similarities, like, and what's very central to them, which is kind of learning about threats. Um, and so when I, when I started thinking about that, I was like, well, I wonder then, and I, and I heard stories from a lot of horror fans, um, about then read op-eds uh, that people had written about being a horror fan and, and having anxiety, which seems weird, right? Seems like why would someone who has anxiety seek out, you know, kind of the, the common explanation for why people watch a movie is escapism, right? Which I don't think is wrong, but then you have to explain like why people who are, are feeling anxious or have anxiety are escaping into a world that's meant to produce anxiety. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I ran some studies showing that, you know, yeah, horror fans do tend to be more anxious, um, you know, more likely to be, to be diagnosed with anxiety, to, uh, have high trait anxiety. Um, yeah. And so the idea if if anxiety, if anxiety was like, 
have measured in units or something right. like that in your brain. If we were, if we were right. with these perfect robots built or something like that, and 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 you had anxiety units, and you were mm-hmm. already kind of redlining it in your anxiety <laughs> units, why would yeah. you throw more anxiety yeah. units on top of that? Exactly, exactly. If your character's maxed out on anxiety, why are you trying to pick up anxiety potions? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, you know, from this actually came from just talking to people who are horror fans that also said they had anxiety, right? This was a, not a theoretical, it was, it was a little bit theoretically driven, but it was really kind of just like talking to people and seeing what they, what's, what's going on in their lives, right? And what I was finding was that a lot of people were saying it's a way for them to deal with um, anxieties that they have about the world. And sometimes that means it helps them disengage from worrying about things, Um and you might say, well, any movie could do that, right? True, but actually I think horror does it particularly well, and it does it particularly well for people with anxiety because, again, if anxiety is about surveilling and attending to threats, then if you're watching a movie whose whole point <laughs> is to present a threat and make you feel anxious, you're going to be sucked into that movie, into that plot, much more easily than you would, say, uh you know, a romance movie or maybe an action movie or maybe a a drama or some other kind of movie. And Mm -hmm. so I think it probably pulls people who are anxious in and immerses them. Right. And then once they're pulled in and immersed, uh, they're now feeling anxious, uh, about whatever's on the screen or if they're reading a book about whatever's, you know, in the book or playing a video game about whatever's on the video game, but they're not, they're not ruminating about, uh, whatever bad thing happened to them earlier in the day or, worrying about what's going to happen to them next week or being anxious about something that they maybe can't even identify. Right. I mean, one of the most uncomfortable things about generalized anxiety disorder is that you feel anxious and you don't know why. Right. And so when you watch a horror movie, play a scary game, go to a haunted house, whatever it might be, you're kind of giving a source to that anxiety, right? You're, you're transferring it in some ways to some other thing. And then once Mm. you transfer it, it becomes a little more controllable, right? So if I'm feeling anxious about a horror movie now, there are a lot of ways that I can control that that I just can't do uh, with my own anxiety. So, for example, I could turn on the lights. Now the intensity of that threat is lower. I could mm. turn the sound down. Now the intensity of that threat is lower. I could read Wikipedia to see how the movie ends. Uh, now the intensity of that is lower. And I can't do those things in my own life about my own worries. And so mm. it can kind of help in the moment by by shifting your focus to the threat in the movie and then allowing you to regulate that a little bit. <laughs> Hold on a second. I just had uh, man, as, as I had a hundred uh, questions, I was excited. <laughs> I just had, I just had this pop into my head, this common experience of the, that, uh, frankly, it was always a bit annoying to me and this <laughs> might be a way of, of reframing things. Um, of watching a movie with someone, usually like one of my significant others or something like that, uh, in the mm-hmm. past, and and having them uh, be uh, asking where it's going the whole yeah. time <laughs> Dur- during the yeah. movie. And you're so, like, I don't know. I'm watching uh, it with you. I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Like, why would you ask <laughs> me that? Or like, and sometimes I also know, or I think I have a feeling where I'm like, but yeah. you can't, you don't spoil the <laughs> movie. And that's so interesting. So you might predict that someone that has higher anxiety might 
um, might they might need be to more likely to use something yeah. like that as a coping yeah. mechanism. Exactly, exactly. Wow, that's so and cool. So the, whole, the whole point of that in the yeah. long term, the idea is that it's very similar to exposure therapy um, in the sense that, you know, maybe the first time I watch, you know, the first 10 times I watch horror movies, I've got to look up the plot. I've got to like turn on the lights. Mm-hmm. But as I become more comfortable with feeling anxious, you know, you remember we talked about earlier, the reason I might not watch horror movies is I'm afraid of how I will react or how I will, it will make me feel. But like what you, what you learn from doing that is that especially, and this is especially true with stuff we've done at haunted houses, you know, your heart, your heart rate might be 120, like getting ready to go into the haunt. You might be really afraid and really worried, but what you realize is the, that feeling does not map, uh, like in a, in a direct way onto the outcome. So just because you feel, you know, if I'm face to face with a grizzly bear, my heart rate might also be 120 and I might also be sweating and freaking out. But the outcome of that <laughs> is really bad. If I'm in a haunted right. house, my heart rate might be 120 and I'm sweating and freaking out. But I come out on the other side and realize that those feelings don't always map in a, in a linear way with the outcome. So just mm-hmm. because I'm feeling really anxious and, you know, then several weeks later, maybe you're feeling anxious about something, you're worrying about something. The idea is that you can then think, okay, just because I'm feeling this extreme doesn't mean that the outcome is going to match that, right? The outcome may not be as extreme as what I'm thinking, which is almost always the case, right? People who are feeling anxious about something, typically they overestimate it, they overestimate Mm -hmm. the consequences. And so the idea is that, especially if it's guided by a therapist, horror might be a really good way for people to uh, learn how to both identify their emotions. So like if you're feeling anxious, you learn how to kind of identify the source of that but also learning how to regulate those emotions, regulate those negative emotions that people tend to avoid, like for good mm-hmm. reason, you know, I don't want to go through my, I, like, I want to typically minimize the amount of anxiety I experience in my daily life. And so I don't have good experience with that. I don't have good experience feeling anxious and then getting over it. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of, there's a lot of research with kids, especially showing that adventurous and thrilling and risky play and scary play um, can be really important in the development of resilience. Um, so if kids are sheltered too much, they never learn how to deal with anxious feelings that are eventually going to come up because being an adult kind of sucks. And like <laughs> you get anxious sometimes about things. Uh, yeah. and when you were, you know, if you, if you practiced feeling that as a kid and kind of overcoming it and, and you kind of develop self-confidence in your ability to overcome bad events. Right. right? And so yeah. this goes to the, this goes back to the study that we published la- around this time last year showing that in the early months of the pandemic, horror fans and morbidly curious people were more resilient during the pandemic. So they were scoring higher on psychological resilience than people who were fans, uh, were not fans of horror movies or people who were fans of other movies. That's really interesting. I, I, I mean, there's, I think I just saw something recently about, um, uh, about, uh, super meditators or whatever, Buddhists mm-hmm. or whatever, and I, uh, MRIs, um, doing, uh, uh, you know, experiencing pain, getting shocked or whatever. And, and it was, it was like the, the regions of the, of, uh, you know, uh, when they actually received pain, it was kind of uh, almost the exact same as, uh, as anyone else. It was just their expectation going into yeah. it they had much much lower ex- uh, anxiety and, and yeah. didn't have expectations going into it and then um uh, i believe recovered uh quickly 
more quickly as well, or it just didn't negatively impact them as much. And, and it's sort of, it's sort of a way of uh, training expectations. I mean, I think it's, it's travel does the same sort of thing where you might be scared of other cultures or out groups or just travel generally or being in a different area and the more you do it the more you're like oh yeah it's now it's not even exciting anymore it's just especially um, traveling alone right traveling alone can be like kind of a a scary experience at first but you kind of build this self-confidence when you do it successfully a few times yeah yeah i it all of this also made me think about so you know we've talked some on the show um it's not uncommon for us to talk about uh, these chronic ailments of anxiety or depression or whatever, where, um, it, you know, often we'll reference like Robert Sapolsky's when, uh, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers kind of idea of our brain sort of maladapted, kind of not being able to ever downregulate as much because there's always a potential threat that we can imagine even in a world where we maybe even have uh almost psychological allergies to (laughs) there there's not (laughs) there's not as many threats typically in our our given day as we're imagining that there may be on a conscious or subconscious level and but our stress response system is built really well for acute stressors and this idea of of potentially using an acute stressor to relieve some chronic stress as well. This is, this is potentially why um, uh, I mentioned masochism earlier, but why, uh, uh, you know, cutters or people, some people have these ticks that might kind of in the moment alleviate some of the chronic stress, but then there's, there's more benign things like taking, um, taking a ride on a roller coaster or something where it's, yeah. You you know you're safe, but you're going to experience this stressor and it's going to be an intense 90 seconds or whatever, and then it's done. And then y- yeah. you activate that parasympathetic response. And there's a little bit, I feel like there's a little bit of that going on here where, where sometimes when you can kind of bring all the anxiety or pain or whatever discomfort in life to a head and kind of have this one channel. moment where it sort of releases. Yeah, I- I think that's that's probably true, and it's funny you bring up why zebras don't get ulcers because uh, that was probably the most influential book to me in college. So that was the mm-hmm. one of the first books I read in college, and it very much uh, set up my trajectory for how I think about yeah. the human mind and the way that people experience the world. Yeah, he's a great communicator. Uh, you, yeah, you know, he is. another uh, another good writer. Um, I don't know how he's doing these days, actually, but uh, see, he's he's uh, he's getting older. V.S. Ramachandran. Um, oh yeah. There's, uh, I think maybe his book Telltale Brain was where I'm pulling this from, but I I remember him speculating on, um, on uh, kind of panic attacks and the and the feedback loop of of your uh some something happens you might not even be consciously aware of maybe you subconsciously heard something that just creates 
like a small amount of anxiety, which releases a stress response uh, uh, through uh, through the body. And then there's a part of the brain that's that's registered that that's registering that your body is, you know, secreting stress hormones and whatnot. And mm-hmm. your palms are getting sweaty. And then it creates this feedback loop of the brain going, wait, is there a danger out there? Why are my palms sweaty? And then it, and then well, your no, palms get sweatier. And, and yeah. he, he even, I believe, suggested potentially trying for people with severe panic disorders to maybe even just have a horror movie queued up yeah. on their, on their phone. So that the next time that they're having an, an attack, look at it and it kind of tricks your brain into going, oh, here is a salient threat here is a threat that i can actually identify rather than the fogginess of this complex uh world of all of these many things that are going through our mind and and the aspects of the environment that we aren't privy to that we can't quite put our finger on if you remember later please send me like where you found that because that's exactly what um exactly what i've been talking about and some of my co-authors have been talking about especially in uh, one of the papers called scaring away anxiety. I mean, the idea is that again, especially in generalized anxiety disorder, you don't have a source for why you're feeling that way. And one Mm -hmm. of the most, you know, one of the most dangerous things for any animal is the unknown, right? It's like things that are uncertain, things that are unknown. Um, and so if you're feeling anxious and you're getting these signals that, um, there's a threat that's imminent that you literally can't identify (laughs) anything, it's mm-hmm. just going to create a feedback loop in which you become more hypervigilant because there must be a threat. You're feeling threatened, uh, but you can't identify it. So you need to be more hypervigilant so that you can identify it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I don't, I don't know if this is the case, but I imagine that could eventually lead to misidentifying threats, you know, making mistakes on what's threatening and what's not, which could then lead to bad consequences later. But like you said, if you, you know, have a horror movie popped up on your phone, you can, sort of channel that or identify with the, uh, the danger in the, in this fictional world. And then that not only gives it an outlet, but it also lets you sort of control how threatening it feels. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you think about, if you think about a a more of a chronic disorder, that's, that's in a way, very likely training just, uh, kind of globalizing heuristics toward life generally of, of your you're training yourself to believe oh no life just in general is just full of scary threats so like just be vigilant all of the time and and so <laughs> it, it, you might be um you might it, you might be erring um, yeah. and I, I mean, there, there's, there's always going to be two ways that you could err and you could either misperceive, a or not recognize a threat that is, or perceive a threat that isn't a threat. And, and usually there's a lower cost involved in that in the yeah. short term. Um, but, uh, but when we're talking about chronic conditions, which in our modern world, uh, we're kind of fortunate in a way that many of our problems are these chronic persistent the low hum of anxiety or depression yeah. we don't have cyber to saber tooth tigers chasing us or whatever <laughs> um but yeah. but that's it, the know, new thing that we need to manage it's an interesting idea and i don't really you know i don't have any evidence for this but it could be that people who are um 
you know, grow up in environments that are just too safe, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, and and, in meaning that they don't even have playful experiences with fear, right? Right. They don't play scary, risky games as kids. They don't like horror movies. Um, you know, your, your, your mind is going to kind of search for those kinds of things because it's sort of primed. Uh, like you said, it's better to, to over perceive than under perceive. Um, and that, that may be some of it, right? I mean, my guess is people who live tough lives, I don't know, they probably don't have generalized, they might have other issues going on in their lives, but I'm guessing they don't have a lot of generalized anxiety disorder. Um, Well, there's, there's something, um, not to interrupt, but I've, I've, I've mentioned, well, I mentioned cutting as like kind of a maladaptive adaptive version of this. I'm not mm-hmm. encouraging people to, <laughs> to get into cutting, to relieve their, uh, to relieve some chronic, uh, thing, but I've had, I've had injuries in my life where I've had a lot of depression issues, but it's, it's my, my career is just always, I always have a lot of foggy paths and things change quickly and stuff. And so it just kind of comes with the territory a little bit. And mm-hmm. I've, I've found that when I have something seriously wrong, like I broke both of my feet as a good example. And, and even, even aspects of COVID in the beginning were an example of this where where no one wants to break both of their feet, but there was something about being laid up that was like, oh, this is what's wrong with me. Like, yeah. <laughs> I can identify all, it, right? all of the foggy, the fogginess of, of what exactly is wrong and is this the right yeah. path? And I, that kind of goes <laughs> away when it's like, oh, I, I just, I have two broken feet. This is definitely yeah. an issue that needs to be attended <laughs> to. And there, there Makes is an yeah. odd sort of relief about being able to, um, pinpoint the 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 source yeah and i think you know i again i think and it's not you know i i focus on horror movies and horror games and haunted houses there are other ways you know other outlets you could do for that i think horror is a particularly good one um yeah it helps you kind of create a safe source in this case for anxiety or fear and then identify it and and deal with it and you can regulate it up and down right like let's say you're in a uh haunted house and it's not scary enough for you well one thing you can do is immerse yourself more you can suspend disbelief a little more or if it's Mm. too scary you can sort of remind yourself you know "Ah, it's just a haunted house they're just actors so you can kind of up and up and down regulate how Mm. immersed you are and then subsequently up and down regulate how afraid you are to kind of hit what we've called in one of our papers like the sweet spot of fear where it's just enough fear that it feels really good right Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, if it's too much, it's overwhelming. It's, it is actually scary. It's too little, you're bored. Uh, but there's kind of the sweet spot. Um, and yeah, it's different that's for different the, people probably, but yeah, that's, that's why that's what made me think about the benign violation that, that exactly. Venn diagram. Um, also why comedy and horror are probably very closely related cognitively speaking. Yeah. You know, another thing that really caught my attention was, um, actually about attention being caught it's uh it was it was the <laughs> idea that people with existing with existing anxiety have uh are, are more visually attentive to threats oh, generally yeah. Yeah. and because of that are are maybe um uh m- more readily Im- immersed in yeah horror or or uh, uh fictitiously the threatening um 
right. situations. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, again, not, I have, there's indirect evidence for that. There's a lot of evidence. It's, I think it's probably pretty well established that people who experience anxiety are hypervigilant towards threat and they uh, are more readily attend to mm. threats that they, that they see. Um, there's also evidence, a couple of VR studies showing that people with anxiety more easily immersed into VR. And I think there might even be one with like a fearful VR game. I can't remember. Um, mm. but, but they're, you know, more easily immersed into VR. Uh, there was a, a recent study. I haven't read it, so I can't speak to it too much, but I kind of read the abstract and looked through it. I think it was about people. I don't remember if it was anxiety or just people generally, uh, but during the pandemic, people created stronger parasocial relationships. So they became more invested in fictional people, fictional characters and felt closer to them mm. uh, during like this stressful time in their life. So there's a, there's a lot of, you know, sort of corroborating evidence that people with anxiety would become more immersed in horror films specifically. There's a lot of reasons that they, they probably would. And that would be an easy study to run. Maybe one I, maybe one I should do actually. Um, yeah. And then once you're there, you know, that's the, that's the, sometimes the tough part is getting immersed, but once you're immersed, then, you know, you have freedom to kind of control that a little more. Hmm. And you might be, so, you know, like if you're very sensitive, like if you're highly anxious, Maybe a movie is not the way to go. Maybe a book is the way to go, right? It's not, it's not as in your face as a movie. Um, Interesting. If you're high in sensation seeking, maybe VR or a haunted house is the way to go. Something that, that at its base level is just more immersive, right? Something at its base level that's you don't have to try. But if you very mm. easily immerse yourself into things, maybe something uh, that's naturally less immersive, like the written word, right? It takes a little more work to immerse yourself story than it does a movie or vr or haunted house hmm yeah i have an immersion issue i i just <laughs> I, don't, I don't get immersed in much of anything um yeah. there goes my indifference again um <laughs> but i i mean i i think it makes uh, uh, comedians are often kind of alien anthropologists uh in life and i i think that there's a certain yeah. level of of uh being detached that um, helps see things a little bit differently. So that's just me. But I, I, I mean, I go back, this makes me the idea of using, uh, horror movies or whatever in therapy. Uh, the, there's a lot of, it makes me feel a lot of different things. One, it makes me feel excited in, in some ways, I think the barrier to entry, the, uh, the idea that you could potentially get people, um, doing therapeutic things that they I, I think that there's a lot of people that the word therapy um uh, still comes along with a lot of stigma or whatever just simply stigma, aren't yeah. interested that might be like well i never thought about therapy before but all right i'll try <laughs> this horror movie immersion yeah. vr therapy yeah, yeah, yeah. what the heck um there's another aspect of it that makes me like a little sad <laughs> too, in a way of, of like, I, I don't know. I'm like judgmental about um, television, which is, I think my, myself just being hard on myself for it. it there's a junk foodie feeling to yeah, television yeah. where it definitely feels, um, yeah, I, I don't know how, how well necessarily the, um, the, uh, 
active versus passive leisure research has replicated to every single uh, context out there, but it does, it still feels like a little bit, um, I, I mean, I guess distraction is sort of the point. And so I, I, I guess I'm more excited about um, people using it as some sort of an aversion therapy, uh, therapy or or just a way of uh I, I like the idea of an acute uh you know in the way that you might go and get acupuncture to give relief mm -hmm. to some chronic issue and and uh being prodded at a little bit in a somewhat benign way might might offer some relief to that it's uh, well, how do you I feel about people people maybe like you know some people go if they're feeling stressful they go out to nature they go hiking mm-hmm um, I mean, I think it's not terribly different from that. I, I definitely get the, the junk food feel from television. There's a lot of junk food in television, but I think, I think the thing that I would argue for this is that horror movies in the way that I'm saying that they could be used more of like a, it's not junk food. It's more like, it's like fiber <laughs> kind of keeps mm. things going, moving through you. Um, I, I think, you know, there can be junk food aspects to it. Of course, uh, there can be sort of horror movies that aren't scary to you anymore and you just watch them because they're comforting or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think that, you know, in the same way that maybe hiking relieves some stress, um, I think there can be something similar said for horror and it, it wouldn't have to be movies specifically. You know, it could be like books, for example, um, you know, reading scary novels. Uh, there is, I guess, a junk food aspect to that, but maybe not if it's, if it's serving another purpose. Yeah, I mean, uh, I I don't think we have a case closed situation on how therapy works in the, in the most effective <laughs> ways. Anyway, I, I think I think therapy is still like very much in its infancy, and so yeah. I, I I think that this is I, I think it's amazing that um uh, to think of novel ways, especially especially just to get people in that might otherwise just not be interested not in. And also, I, I, you know, people are going to watch, like, I'm, I'm probably pretty consistent in the amount of TV that I watch. I think that if I had a therapeutic watch list <laughs> in, in, in the times that I was watching, um, that I was like, you know what, I've, I've had a long day. I'm going to watch something tonight or watch a couple shows or just take the yeah. day and binge a bunch of things. I think that I would be like, you know what? I'll look at this therapy list and, and, and watch this, <laughs> uh, the, the shows that my therapist recommended. There's, there's something, I don't know. There, there's definitely something there. I, I think all of this stuff is really so fascinating. And then especially in terms of, um, your ease of, of studying this, the, the stuff, it seems like it's, uh, to get people to come in and watch a movie or to fill out some surveys or, I don't know. I just, I think that there's a, this is a ripe field to explore for sure. I think you have a interesting career ahead of you. Um, yeah, I think, you know, there's a lot of, there are a lot of boring psychology studies, a lot of really yeah. boring psychology studies. And I've never had that issue with mine. Yeah, uh, yeah, people usually really like the studies that I do. You know, they come in and they wear eye tracking glasses and inspect a cabinet of morbid curiosities, or they go through a haunted house, or they fill out a survey, but it's a survey about 
you know, would you want to see someone have their head transplanted? You know, it's just more interesting than I think a lot of psych studies um, that are out yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, as we wrap up, you mentioned the cabinet. Tell people about that. Uh, that yeah. study. Yeah. So this study, it got put on hold because of COVID, but hopefully we'll be launching it back up in the next few months. But basically I bought a cabinet that kind of opens up uh, to have four shelving units, right? Like four shelving units. Um, and I bought some items. <laughs> I went to, there's a store here in Chicago called Woolly Mammoth, and it's kind of like a morbid oddities store. So mm-hmm. I went in there and I bought a bunch of weird things. I bought some things that were morbid and sort of fit this category that I've been uh, studying and some things that were interesting, but maybe not morbid. And then I just made up a bunch of fake stories about all of them. So for example, I bought, you know, like a fancy seal and wax and put it in the cabinet, put a label on it and it says seal and wax from game of Thrones. Cool item, not morbid. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I bought, uh, at, at the store, I bought, um, a dental cast. They had like dental casts in there. I bought one, I put it and I said dental cast from the cannibalistic serial killer interesting but also pretty morbid right mm-hmm. and so what i do is I, I fill the cabinet about half and half uh half morbid half non-morbid kind of all mixed in uh and i have people wear eye tracking glasses that look kind of like this but they have little infrared sensors on the inside that track where your eyes move and then it has a camera like kind of on the edge here that scans the real world and then an algorithm maps those on top of each other so basically you can tell where people look and for how long and i have them inspect the cabinet you know i make up this whole story about these items are on loan to us from local museums and we just want to see how people inspect items at museums. And so they go in and they look at the cabinet. There's no expectations. Um, and after 90 seconds, I have them put on some gloves and I tell them, okay, now you can pick five items to learn about, like read the descriptions from the museums and pick five items that you want to pick up and hold, pick up and like physically inspect. And it's the idea is to measure different kinds of morbid curiosity. So there's epistemic morbid curiosity. I want to like learn about it. There's visual morbid curiosity. I want to see it. And then there's, I guess, like tactile morbid curiosity. Like I want to touch it and actually Mm -hmm. be psychologically not very distant from it. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it's a very cool study. People usually really love it. Um, It's like a fun way to spend 30 minutes and make 10 bucks or whatever. Whatever (laughs) the game is. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. I love the idea that putting things in the context of of the story of like, yeah, who's really going to care about um, seeing the dental cast, uh, seeing just a random dental cast. like, But as soon as you give it a backstory, like a morbid backstory, it becomes instantly more interesting. Yeah. What's that serial killer's teeth look like? Interesting. (laughs) Huh. So fascinating. Such cool work. Um, listeners, please go to Colton um, Scrivener.com. That's C O L T A N S C R I V N E R. We'll make sure and put links in um, sure. on your app and YouTube and everything else. But um, also, if you're just listening to this, um, it just one, his name should be right on there on your app for you, but uh, just Google the morbid curiosity scale and I'm sure that you'll find him as well. Um, yeah, Colton, that's it. Well, was there anything else that you wanted to direct people to or or uh, any uh, um, any open loops that I needed to? I think we closed most of our loops. Uh, you know, I post pretty often on Twitter, thing, like spooky, spooky science things. Uh, 
my Twitter handle is just at morbid psych. Um, Great. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining me today. This is really terrific. Um, good luck getting through October. I'm sure you're going to be very busy. <laughs> um, going to a haunted house next weekend to do some research. Really? Yes. That's, yeah. You got a great job. That's awesome. You've carved <laughs> out a good career for yourself. Well, uh, I, I know you got a, a lot of other stuff in the in the works. So if you uh, put out a book or anything like that, please hit me up. So let's get you back on. I know I know yeah. listeners are really going to have enjoyed this episode. So I hope we can yeah, do it do again have a sometime. Book, uh, a book I'm working on right now. So it'll, it's coming out uh, 2023. So I'll probably get in touch with you closer to then if you're still doing this and we can chat about it. I'm sure I will be. Sounds great. Thank you. Cool.